okay, thanks here. I said, what do you do about complaints? And this woman lit up with a smile. She was beaming and she goes, I love complaints. I absolutely love complaints. And she truly did because she knew that those are just opportunities to not only fix the problem, but to turn those people around so that they become lunatics and happy about the, about the entity or the library. So she really embraced it. And that helped me understand, all right, don't be intimidated by the mistakes. They happen. What can we do to, uh, to make it up to them? One of the most important facets of any business is customer service. In business, you are not only selling a product or a service, but an experience. Providing exceptional customer service and developing real relationships with your clients means increased sales, retain customers, new customers via word of mouth, and a positive reputation. You're listening to the Focus on Customer Experience Podcast. Podcast. Benjamin Del Grosso gives you the ins and outs of one of the most underlooked aspects in business today. Improve your customer service and watch your business skyrocket. Two, one. Now, here's your host, Benjamin Del Grosso. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have Kevin and Steve, they are the creators of Tenzi, a game. And I'm going to let turn it over to Kevin. I'm going to let them tell us the story of how it came to be. Sure. Uh, thanks, Ben, for having us on. Uh, the, the story is, well, I've always enjoyed games, you know, for, and I, I am pre-video games, so I've enjoy, always enjoyed uh, going out and inventing games in the backyard, and that's my background. That's what I've always done. Um, so about... Uh, Oh, maybe 15 years ago or so, I had an idea for a game. And lo and behold, somebody introduced me to a friend of theirs, and I was able to sell or license that game, having nothing to do with Tenzi. I was able to license that game to a company. And, um, and I felt pretty excited about that. Like, hey, I guess I'm in the game business. And a couple of, oh, maybe a few months after doing that, I bump into my old friend, Steve. Now, Steve and I used to work in the same advertising agency together. And um, we we're actually cutting down Christmas trees with our families at the time. So it was early December and Steve said, hey, what are you up to? I said, well, I still do my coaching and training and that corporate stuff, but I think I'm in the game business. And I explained how I had an idea for a game and I licensed it to a company. And Steve kind of lit up and he goes, well, I've got ideas. We should get together sometime. So about six months later, Steve and I connect and we start to generate game ideas. And we were pitching him to, there's a woman uh, in a nearby town who's a game agent. Uh, interesting, a lot of people, nor did I or Steve know about game agents, but they are people who take people who have ideas and match them with companies that want ideas. So they're the agent or the go-between. So we'd pitch ideas to this woman and she was great in guiding us and some ideas she liked, some she didn't like, but this went on for well, a number of months. And then one day I was doing a little research and I saw that one of the big game companies was interested in a dice game. So I said to Steve, hey, rather than just trying to come up with any sort of game, let's focus on a dice game. So I bought a bunch of dice online. I gave Steve a bunch and I took a bunch home and we said, let's get together in a couple of weeks and see if we can come up with some sort of idea. Now with that, Steve, I'll turn it over to you um, because that, so I went my way, Steve went his way. Steve, what happened at your house during those two weeks? Well, just to clarify a little, not only is Kevin pre-video game, I think he's also pre-television. So that, uh, so my mother used to call it, she, my mother used to call it the idiot box. Get away from that idiot box. <laughs> um, so Kevin hands me the bag of dice and, uh, I coming up with a couple different game, uh, scenarios, game ideas. 
And I'm a pretty simple person, competitive. So I just kept adding dice until, uh, until I got 10 dice, nice round number. And I said, I wonder how fast I can get all these num dice on the same number. And you roll it and you go, oh, wow, that's kind of, that's kind of happened faster than I thought it was going to happen. Um, super simple. I said, wow, that was kind of addictive. So I tried again and again and again. So a week later, went to uh, Kevin's house and explained it. I said, hey, Kev, I think I got something here. So you take 10 dice, you roll them, see how fast you can get all in one number. And you're trying to collect them, by the way, Ben. You're not trying to get them all in one shot. So you, let's say you get a bunch of sixes, put them aside, roll the rest, get the sixes, get the sixes until you have all 10 sixes. So you're collecting them. Yeah. So I explained that to Kevin and he said, that's it. And uh, so he didn't see the, the, the big vision at that point. Uh, but uh, <laughs> over the course of that day, uh, we sat down, we played a little bit and uh, developed uh, some more of the rules and uh, uh, changed things here and there. <clears throat> but it was, again, as simple as that. It, you know, it, it's something you can explain in 30 seconds and fast, fast, fast. And Steve showed me a piece of paper he had written I think, what was it, Steve? Speed Yahtzee on it? Speed the Yahtzee, concept. yeah. The little little two-word blurb as I was kind of, you know, think going in one direction, <laughs> looking for a direction. Um, and that has, uh, uh, that's been our formula now, uh, you know, really super fast, simple for all the games we've developed. Yeah, I was seeing some of the the game, little videos online that looked like some people are flying through it in like 30 seconds, right? Exactly. Like with competition with their family, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's funny is when we show it to people at trade shows, the, 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 and the people are usually retailers, you know, that specialty retailers. So we're, we're not in the big box stores. We're not in the Walmarts or, um, or targets. We went to the mom and pop specialty toy stores of which there are thousands and, and gift stores around the country, mostly in the U S we're in Canada, as well as about uh, eight or nine other countries. Uh, so when people would uh, would play it, you know, they 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 we we'd explain it to them, and they get it, and when they were playing within 15 seconds, and after they played it the first time, they were absolutely hooked, and then it took off from there. You know, so not only could they understand it in a matter of seconds, they could be up to speed and playing it in a matter of seconds, and uh, and 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 that was the magic of it. Yeah, like a, like what I was saying to you uh, before we started recording. So many games nowadays can be very complex, hard to learn. I know, like I have two kids. We got a four-year-old and a twelve-year-old, and we'll be playing a game, and we'll be almost done, and then all of a sudden we turn to like page four of the rules, and next thing you know, it's oh, so this whole thing meant something else. It was like the whole game meant nothing. There's so many rules, it's hard to like you know keep up, and and something like. Tenzi very easy every every kid in age can play it like you know our four-year-old would easily play this and and love a game like this very simple to use I mean yeah. so you know why uh I guess you already kind of answered this why a dice game versus any other type of game well we've we've since come out with other types of games but it was just because of that uh the, the document I had read listing the different game companies and what they were interested in and, and it helped really frame it when they said, and it was one of the big companies, whether it was Hasbro or Mattel, but it said, you know, such and such company is looking for a dice game. It just felt like a much more doable uh, accomplishment or, or, or project to be able to figure out, all right, let's come up with a dice game. So that's really what led us down the path. In fact, for those that are out there ever interested in inventing games, I'd say find out what the companies are interested in first before you just start to you know, come up with anything. But so I can tell you, Ben, if you want, um, after, after we ha had that concept that particular day, then uh, we created a couple of prototypes 
and then started knocking on doors and I'll share what happened there. The, uh, the, so Steve, it was probably maybe, what, a couple of weeks later, Steve went to a container store mm-hmm. and bought, found just the most perfect container that would fit 10 dice with rules as if it was designed for us, right, Steve? Yeah, 40 dice, 10, four sets of 10 yeah. dice. Uh, and we had, as Kevin said, come from the world of advertising. So we know how to make a label and a logo and all that stuff. Um, so we just kind of piece things together. Um, we actually decided not to do the licensing right, avenue. Right. And you know, there's two de- very distinct avenues. You go license it and try to sell it, or you try to kind of launch it yourself. And because there were so few moving pieces, both literally and figuratively with this game, we figured, hey, this is kind of a doable proposition. You know, if this was risk, let's say way back when, and there was hundreds of pieces you had to, had to create and a board and all these things, I don't think it would be doable, but there were, it was so, um, so few elements in the game that we, we thought it was doable, uh, made the prototypes and then just uh, picked out a few stores in the area and started uh, seeing if folks were interested in it. Yeah, so the, the first store, you know, we went to, of course, uh, no, we're not interested. Instead of gr- a grumpy toy store owner. Uh, the second store said, hey, guys, come back later when the manager's here. And by gosh, on the third store we hit that day, uh, we met the most perfect woman in the universe, I think. She was, um, her name is Celeste, and she was the owner manager of a small toy store in a town next to us. And, uh, and she, we walked in there and we said, hi, we're local game inventors, and we have some prototypes of a new game we came up with. Would you be possibly interested in carrying this? And what she said to us at that moment has been our guiding light for the last 10 or 12 years. She said, hey, guys, if you can tell me how to play your game in less than 30 seconds, I might be interested. Well, there's never been a better game than Tenzi to explain less than, than 30 seconds. It's easier than explaining rock, paper, scissors, actually. So we said, yeah, you take 10 dice, roll them as fast as you can. And whoever can come up with 10 of the same or collect 10 of the same number before anybody else does, yells Tenzi and wins. She said, oh, my gosh, I love that. So she said, give me your prototypes. So we handed over the prototypes and Steve and I are milling around the store, uh, checking out pack- other packaging ideas and how to, what other ideas that might be out there. And uh, within probably five minutes, she yelled over, hey guys, I got your first sales. And sure enough, the first woman who walked into her store, she was able to sell Tenzi too. And the woman bought two of the games and we were there in the store when she had her first sales. And then she went on over that holiday season because that was in late October. So over that holiday season, she went on to sell about 300 of ARC games in her two stores. Now, it, we were feeling pretty good about it, but I don't know if 300 is a, is a big number or not a good number. I had n- nothing relative to look at. I said, well, how many Yahtzees do you sell? And she said, oh, I'll check, it out. I'll check out the books. And she looked into her books and she said 52 or 50 or something like that. And I said, well, is that a week, a month? And she goes, no, that's in a year. I said, so we sold 300 games in a matter of months and you sell 50 Yahtzees, which is a well-known established game in a year. She said, yeah. She said, this is by far the best-selling new game I have ever had. So <laughs> Steve, it was her first inkling that well, maybe we have something here. So we stayed pretty much with her a couple stores that first holiday season. And uh, that's where we you know, first started to establish it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. You had to establish a sample market, find out if the customers like it. Going in and out of the stores, that's got to be very hard. I, I've done it, cold calling. It's very uh, discouraging. It's very easy to get told no and get turned off and and want to quit and give up. So 
like how was that process like did you guys continue cold calling after store three or did you well steve you can add to it but i'll, I'll tell you that the simple answer for me ben was having a partner to do it with so steve lives in a nearby town and he came up my way and i think if i had to go into those stores by myself i would have felt a lot of that uh but by having somebody else there and either to laugh through the nose or to laugh through the rejection or to get your energy and courage up to to ask if somebody be interested in carrying your game just really has helped to have, you know, somebody to commiserate with there and to, to team yeah. up with. And I mean, I'll go, I'll talk a little bit of, well, cause the, going into stores, not that it stopped, but it changed venues. We almost, the trade shows were becoming the stores, but when you are going into the stores and, and the trade shows, what you're really looking for isn't the right store what we found out kind of in hindsight is you're looking for the person. As Kevin said, we found the perfect person in Celeste who was open to hearing this. You know, you, you, you couldn't sell it to a, some grumpy manager who didn't really want a new product. You, she was unbelievable for us in, that, in, in those, those first few weeks. She helped us find, all right, what's our right price point? Mm -hmm. What's our, you know, how, who we, who the real target is, all these different things that we had no idea about. So finding the right person is, is really the, what you're looking for going into the stores. And same thing with the trade shows. When you get into there, you're not really trying to twist somebody's arm to buy your product. You're looking to get that product in the hands of somebody who's looking for the next thing to, that they're going to really uh, bring that same energy with when they take it into their stores. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you want something simple to use. And I mean, every, I, I don't know, Toys R Us is a very big chain up here. I think they shut down in the States. But you yeah. go into their game aisle and there's like a hundred games, like, you know, and so much licensing, you know, Disney Monopoly and mm -hmm. whatever. Like there's so many different. It's overwhelming. I, I look at it and I go, yeah, you know. But I mean, no one really talks to you there and gives you a recommendation. But when you go right. to these independent yep. toy stores, they're a little bit more personable and they offer you a different experience, a different customer experience than going to these big box. So I think it's smart that you've aligned yourself with like mom and pop stores. Cause I find like, even we were in Astoria not too long ago visiting and we stopped at a toy store down there and they were very personable. They were talking to us for quite a while. They gave us some recommendations of things to buy and you know, that's what you want because then people can go, Hey, you want an easy game that's going to work for your family? You know, this is something that's been very a, a big hit with all the families in our area, right? So I, th I think that's very smart that you're aligning yourself with the mom and pop stores. Yeah. And, and when you see the Tenzi game, all you see is dice, basically. And if that was in a, uh, a target, let's say, I don't, it wouldn't have done nearly as well because I think Steve and I both feel that somebody will look at and go, well, it's just dice. Why am I going to spend 1495 or whatever on just a set of dice? I can, you know, but at the store, you know, they, they, these store owners, the small store owners, the specialty store owners were willing to take the rack that we had developed that hangs nine Tenzi games and they were willing to put it right up front. We gave them a free demo game to go with it. And the store owners would say, Hey, you know, to, to customers, Hey, you want to try this new game? As we we're saying, and the customer said sure, and they would as soon as they demoed it, that same thing sold. So without specialty being able to demo it and talk it up, uh, it just would have died pretty much. Yeah, building on that, Kev, uh, that 
where we started of if you can explain it to me in less than 30 seconds, that works down the entire food chain yeah. of the sale of the sale. The independent rep can sell it to the store manager with a quick explanation, 15 seconds. The store manager can explain it to her, their staff. Mm -hmm. Staff can explain it to customers, mom and dad, when they're in the store, mom and dad then can explain it to the kids in 15 seconds when they get home. So you're not looking on page four, Ben, and finding out, you know, what the rules are later, like you said, in your game. So easy, simple explanation works across the whole, whole chain. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. So what were, uh, you know, what were some of the mistakes you guys made in, in, launching the product like challenges that you had well steve made a lot so maybe steve you can talk about it, so. <laughs> <laughs> well like i said what you're really looking for is to find the right partner <laughs> so that's probably the largest now yeah. um actually the, uh, so mistakes mistakes is one we kind of a, a fairly big legendary mistake is uh um and the, actually i'll take a step back before setting this up no matter what you do going in to Oh, I'm not going to make any mistakes. I'm going to, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's, double check everything. You're still going to make mistakes because, you know, you're not sure what you're looking out for. So in our first big run that we did with an overseas supplier, um, very excited, took all these pre-orders and they came in and uh, sent them out. And we're waiting for all the, all the reorder, you know, to check it, how people like it. And their phones started ringing. Right. And so Kevin picks up the phone, custom, customer service. What, what can we do? Hello, Tenzi, Tenzi Corporate Headquarters. We're ready to sell you your, your next games. <laughs> and, and, and what was the call, Kev? Oh, my gosh. I, I think it opened with, and not a question, it was we have dice all over the floor here. I'm, I'm sorry, what's that? We have, the bottoms are, are falling out of, the, out of the games and we have dice all over the floor now. That was not a good call to get. And then we get another call with, hey, you know what? We open the box and there's dice all over the box because the, the bottoms are falling out. Now, I, Steve and I, I both started getting upset and freaking out about that because we had thousands and thousands of, of cases coming along. But uh, at one point, I remember one of our reps had to talk me off the ledge and say, it's going to be all right. People love your game. They're going to rebuy your game. It's going to be okay. We're going to fix this. But that was the, the first... Yeah. Um, and even and even had. some of the some of the calls they said you know when they said oh the bottom of the tubes are falling out there's dice everywhere and we said oh sorry sir and they said no don't be sorry just send more we're putting them back in the tube and we're selling them so even uh, even some of the problems the you know the success of it uh, even kind of uh, shown through the the problems um, but that was again that was something that you couldn't foresee coming I mean we reinforced the end but we reinforced the bottom and that is no longer a right, problem right. Right. So you probably had a few people that, you know, you had different, uh, different chemistry between all the different accounts, right? So you probably had some people like, like you said, that were really like, I don't care, just send more, right? We'll figure it out. We'll put tape on it, whatever, right? And then you probably had some other accounts that were probably, you know, not happy and you might as well come pick these things up because they're making a mess over my floor. I mean, I don't know how, how deep you want to go into that conversation. However, like, what did you do in terms of like customer experience to make sure that they were happy and that reassure them that you were there to take care of them at the end of the day? Well, I got to tell you, the first thing is always, I'm sorry. It's sort of like, no matter what it is, oh, I'm sorry. Because just think about it, whether, forget even the dice falling on the, on the floor, just think about if you're a customer, 
sort of, you know, and, and something goes wrong. I mean, I know I myself have to think, oh, I don't want to call the store up. I don't want to complain about it, but I'm not happy about it. So you go through a certain angst, even to make the call to complain a lot of times. So the very least one needs to hear, a customer needs to hear is, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about what had happened. And, and that starts to clean the slate, you know, that's at, at level sets and then say, hey, tell me exactly what happened. And, and the other thing that I was taught somewhere along the way is what will make you happy? What can we do that would make you happy? And they'll tell you. A lot of times it's not what you think you have to do, or it's not as big as you think you might have to do. Um, so you, you, you apologize and ask, what can we do to make this right for you? And I got to tell you, 99.9 out of, you know, 100, 1,000 are going to be happy with, with that as an approach. So we've, the other thing I've said is also that when we do make a mistake, and we do and have and will continue to, you know, uh, because they happen, we want to make it up to them in a way that they're going to wish, oh, I hope they make another mistake. <laughs> because they made it up to me in such a nice way. They went above and beyond. In fact, I'll give you an example that happened to me the other day. It had nothing to do with Tenzi. I was, uh, I went to pick up a cake. So my wife had a cake on order. I went to pick this up and it's five o'clock, you know, the store's about to close and I got to get it for the evening's festivities or whatever. And, uh, and the guy said, oh, I don't see it here on the list. Let me run downstairs and see if I can find it. So then he comes back up empty handed. He said, I'm so sorry. I, I can't find the cake you ordered. I'm, I'm sorry. And I, you know, no big deal. We can have some other you know, option. So I wasn't uh, too concerned about the darn thing. But then he came up to me a couple minutes later and said, I tell you what, I just talked to the owner and you can have any of the, of the desserts you want here, no charge. So take whatever you want, no charge. And here's a gift certificate for $30 so you can get a cake the next time. So even though they didn't lose my money, they didn't, you know, I, I wasn't at a, it wasn't a bad product. They just simply had missed the order. They not only made it up with free goods, they also gave me a gift certificate. And I said, hey, I'm big on customer service and you guys you know, did just the right thing. So when you make it up to people above and beyond what they expect, I mean, they're, they're with you. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Above and beyond is a very big thing. Um, I was recently, I was telling you guys that I was recently at a, a networking event, a summit, and we actually had the guy from Harley Davidson speak to us. The one who actually mm -hmm. brought Harley Davidson out of, uh, out of bankruptcy back in 86. Uh-huh. And he told us that when somebody contacts you and says to you that there's a problem or there's a challenge, you know, to write it down, make sure to listen to them. Don't, don't, uh, don't write them off as, oh, I've already heard this before, right? Make sure to listen to them. And it sounds like that's, you know, what you were doing. You were, you were listening to every single one of your clients mm -hmm. and basically making sure that, Hey, we're going to take care of you. We're there for you. And that, to me, that's very important. Because a lot of times people get written off or they assume the issue is already the issue that they're calling about instead of actually hearing right. the client out. Right. Right. You and know, sometimes, we, yeah. Well, I was going to say uh, years ago, we had a library in town for many years. It was sort of known not having great customer service. It was just that's the way it was. And the people at the library were grumpy or whatever. Well, they got a new library director in at one point and things changed almost overnight. So I was chatting with her about a few years into her tenure at the library and things were go going along swimmingly. And I said, well, you really have done some terrific things here. I said, what do you do about complaints? And this woman lit up with a smile. She was beaming and she goes, I love complaints. I absolutely love complaints. And she truly did because she knew that those are just opportunities to not only fix the problem, but to turn those people around so that they become 
lunatics and happy about the about the entity or the library. So she really embraced it. And that helped me understand, all right, don't be intimidated by the mistakes. They happen. What can we do to uh, to make it up to them? Yeah. And, and we find uh, little ways of doing that, of turning, not complaints, but turning customer, you know, when cus consumers reach out to us, how do we turn that into a positive of being brand for them to be brand evangelists for us? So we get contacted all the time of when you, because when you send 40 dice out into the world each game, those dice find their ways into underneath couches or into vents or into dogs' mouths or wherever. And so all the time we get, oh, I'm missing a yellow dice with red dots and a black dice with green dots and this, that. We always get back to them and said, no problem, we'll, we'll send you replacement dice. And we usually send not only those dice, but the other color, one of each of the other colors in their game, just so they, if they, they dice go missing in the future, they'll have replacements. And we always get these great emails back of, oh, thank you, I got the replacement dice. You guys are fantastic. I'm gonna tell all my friends about Tenzi. So even though we're sending the postage on the replacement dice is 400 times what the dice themselves are worth, for $4, we've, we've got a brand advocate now saying how great Tenzi is. So it's, it's well worth it. Yeah, my mom actually had this game that we had in the backyard, and one of the pieces broke. And she was very upset about it because she wanted us all to play it as a family, and one of them was broken right out of the box. She contacted the manufacturer. I don't remember the exact brand. And, like, two days later, a whole new kit showed up. Like, and they said, you just keep the old one so that you can have old parts and everything. She's like, like the whole thing. They're like, yeah, just the whole thing. So she's like, okay, well now if something else breaks, I have all these extra parts now. Right. Which yeah. is pretty amazing. But you know, you know, they went above and beyond for her. Now she's, you know, really happy. She's like, you know, they play the game in the yard all the time, but it's, it's that creating that experience of just knowing that, Hey, you know what? A mistake was made. Something happened, whether it be, your fault whether it be damaged in shipping whether it be they've lost it right you're creating those uh, i guess like i had to say creating those disciples preaching your brand telling other people about it right how great the experience is how great the game is yeah it, the um we mentioned a little bit earlier the uh at trade shows at our first trade show so in new york every february there's a, a show called toy fair that's where all the buyers the retail stores from around the country get together with all the sellers, inventors like Steve and I, as well as big, big game companies. And uh, and so Steve and I had been there and we were giving out some samples. You know, we we're just trying to establish ourselves. We were giving out some free samples to the store owners. And I don't know, a couple of days into it, a, a vendor, a fellow vendor, a manufacturer uh, walked over to our booth. So he was not a retail store. Uh, so he was not a customer. He was a, a vendor or seller. He came up to us and he said, you know, I've been watching you guys for the last couple of days. And you are, and they had a, a very uh, exciting little word in there. He goes, you are blank, uh, what was it, Steve? Idiots. You are blank idiots. I won't fill in the blank. And we go, oh, well, why are we blank idiots? He goes, because you've been, I've been watching you. You've been giving your games away for free. Don't give your games away to these people. These people, by the way, are store owners. Don't give your way, game away to these people. You can charge them $5 or, you know, some discounted amount. So Steve and I just... Didn't quite that just didn't quite seem right, you know. Or, or so we continued to do what we were doing, and uh, and and then what would happen is the next day a store owner would come up and say, "Oh my God, we played your game last night. The one that you gave us, we loved it. We in fact we were playing with five other store owners. So you're going to hear from them. So the more we were just giving games away, the more it fueled it. 
Now, the other thing is we went beyond just our customers. It was, you know, as we mentioned before, if a fellow vendor was down the road from us, you know, in the, in the aisle of, of, uh, of where we were with our booth, we'd give them a Tenzi game and we'd give another vendor a Tenzi game. And then what was happening is stores would come up to us and say, oh, we were over at a different booth and they were telling us about your game. They really liked your game. So our potential competitors were actually our partners in a way because they were spreading the word about our game to, uh, to stores. So there's always opportunity there as, as you, if you don't, the, high, the tighter you close your fist, you know, just nothing's going to come out. If you're more willing to put it out there, open it up, it comes back. Yeah. I mean, you could spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars mm-hmm. on advertising yeah. or you can put it into the people's hands and let them decide whether or not the product makes sense. So I've been to the consumer electronics show, I think like eight times now in Las Vegas you go down there, a lot of vendors will give me free stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it will be, I would never ever carry this in my store, right? But then there are a few of those things where it's like, take these, try them out, let me know what you think. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember I got a set of Ferrari headphones for free. And I thought, oh, they just look cool, you know, whatever, right? But they actually sounded good. We probably sold twenty or $30,000 with those Ferrari headphones yeah. in a couple of years, right? But I got that one set for free. Because that yeah. vendor obviously wanted to sell me it, but I got to play with them, try them out. I had other staff try them out as well. And because of that, it all rippled into something big. Now, they probably gave away a hundred sets of Ferrari headphones yeah. at the Consumer Electronics Show. How many people actually bought? Who knows, right? But if they don't put it into your hand and you don't get to play with it, you don't know what that experience is going to be like. Right. right. And I mean, I think it's a smart move with you guys putting it into people's hands because you got to get them to play with it. You got to get them to know what it's like. And that's everybody can have their own opinion saying it's not smart or it's stupid or whatever to do that. But you know what? That's, that's your strategy. Your strategy is to put it into their hands. And I had many vendors, like I'd have a vendor go, here's like a car audio amp, bring it back and play with it. Well, like, I don't want to put a big car audio amp in my luggage that I already have barely any space with. A set of headphones makes sense, right? A little trinket, yes. Right, right. But I don't want a big amp <laughs> to truck across the border. But I mean, we would get things like that where they'd ship it to us and we'd have to play with it. And sometimes it would turn into the, you know, this big thing where we'd bring in a whole brand new brand into the store because they sent us that sample to play with. But right. I yeah, think yeah. Sample, yeah, samples and free demos. That's the, if we had, you know, sometimes you ask a question, if you had $1 to spend, where would you spend your, your marketing money? It would be sample and free demos because it's just having it, people play it, whether it's at trade shows or the store. Uh, once they, once they roll the dice, they're kind of hooked. And so that's the, that's been so key to us. So every time a customer have, has an initial order, a store has an initial order for a new game we come out with, there's always in, baked into it a free in-store demo game for them because it's that important. And we yeah, can kind there's of- other, There's other ways to, you know, you talk about saving thousands and thousands of dollars or what, you know, marketing can cost. Uh, there's other opportunities that are free out there. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, we got a call from the Indianapolis Parks Foundation. They said, hey, we're having our spring fling luncheon and we're gonna have about five or 600 business people that donate to the park and donate their time and their money. Would we, you know, this particular woman who contacted us said, you know, I personally love your game. And I think it would be great 
if we could have you guys come out and just talk about a little bit about your game and get people to play it. So we said, sure, we'll try to figure that out. So we went out there and they said, now we can't give you much time. You got 10 minutes max on our schedule. And in that 10 minutes, we had to briefly explain what the game is and how we came about it and teach them how to play it. And by gosh, and on YouTube, you can see it. If you put in the world's largest Tenzi game, you'll see 600 business people playing Tenzi at this luncheon, all at the same time, yelling, jumping, screaming, Tenzi, Tenzi, Tenzi. So there's a, a marketing opportunity there that really didn't cost us much at all. Um, we gave out some free games, like one per table. And here are 600 people that are playing it with their friends over lunch. And you just know that starts to ripple out into the community. So there's lots of opportunities if you're just willing to look for them and, and act on them. Yeah, that makes sense. You guys have a few other games that you've developed other than Tenzi. So what else have you, what else you guys got all these different, different inspiration? Is it because of Tenzi's success or was it just other ideas you brainstormed or so you got well, Slapsy there? Yeah, I'll mention, <laughs> Steve will talk about some of it. My, uh, my son, you know, we, we are open to, you know, looking at ideas from others. Usually the others happen to be within our family or friends. Uh, but we say, hey, if you can give us an idea that's as simple as Tenzi, that people can see it in a matter of seconds, play it in a matter of seconds, and be laughing in a matter of seconds, then we may be interested. So uh, my son had pitched a couple of ideas to us, and I remember saying with each one, no, Collins, it involves thinking, and our games are not involved, in, and you don't involve thinking. So he'd, he'd work on it and work on it, and probably after about a year or so, he pitched an idea, which ultimately became our second game, which is this game uh, mentioned be earlier before the we started the podcast, is Slapsy. And uh, it's a simple, simple card game. So that particular idea came, was an idea that started with my son. And so he'll pitch it in its rough form. I'll play around with it. Then we'll sit down with Steve. Steve will look at it, say, hey, here's what I like about it. Here's what I think we can improve about it. We'll go back, we'll tweak it. So it's a process uh, and that's how they've evolved. But based on that whole thing of simple, fast fun yeah. is our whole call, war cry. Yeah, so there's that. Is that like your uh, your company vision or company mission statement? Like simple, fast, fun, or well, simple games by simple people, right, Steve? <laughs> yeah, that, that that's the real logo. That's a real uh, tagline. Uh, but it's just the format or the format that we've seen that works for us. That and that that the stores have come to expect from us. That so when they come at the to the trade shows. They get all excited about, okay, simple, simple, simple. Show me what you got now. And when it falls, you can tell when it falls in that sweet spot, they're like, oh, this is just like Tenzi, only it's with, with cards, with blocks, with, uh, with things. So they, um, and all the games, Tenzi, Slapsy, Itzy, Buildsy, Pearsy, ending with the ZI. Again, that's Kevin's and I uh, advertising background, keeping it simple, keeping it as a family. And then, so the store owners and the consumers themselves can say, okay, it's the, it's the Slapsy 10Z concept, which is simple, fast, fun. I think I seen that build Z game recently. Okay. In one of the stores. Um, maybe I'm wrong or, or right, but I think they had like a flamingo or something weird like that. And you're supposed to like build random objects. You know, that right? might, I wonder, Steve, if that's plus plus, you know, that oh, yeah. those little tiny little blocks. Okay. You know, well, no, it looked like these blocks. No, it did it? Like, okay. It looked well, like that. Flamingos, yeah. then, Steve. I yeah, don't the, know. <laughs> yeah, these you're you're building kind of these uh, towers. It's kind of a uh, uh, combination. You know, it's it's a fast building game 
super fast. Uh, again, lots of laughing right out of the box. Um, and it's yeah, been, I'm looking at launched, the pictures online. Yeah. And we launched it two years ago and it is just still selling like crazy. Yeah. You guys got some very creative things. So you just have to, so to have like this vision, you know, basically you're playing with a lot of times your, your friends and family, obviously, are you reaching and then you're relying on, do you then bring it to the toy stores after you kind of have the concept done? Like, obviously you have it, you know, patented or trademarked or whatever it is you have, it's saved. So no one else can take it. And then you're bringing it to a toy store and going, do you think you can sell this? Right. Cause now you have relationships with all the people who have been selling right. Tenzi and Slapsy and all that. Or do you bring it to a, a trade fair and find out their opinion on it right then and there before going into mass production? Well, we, we have a couple of our favorite stores in our area that over the years with each new concept, after we get it to a certain rough stage, we'll say, hey, you got a half hour to give us? We'd love to come down and show you about this new idea we're playing with. And they have been tremendous. So we may go back to Celeste, our first store, and show her ideas, which we have a, a, at least a couple of times. Or a, another store owner in Stamford, Connecticut will visit Nick and say, hey, Nick, can you give us a little time? We want to show you a game we have. And they have been tremendous. They've solved problems for us, things that we couldn't see. I remember one time we had a, a game called Pearsy, it was, or is, and uh, we were stuck on a, on a particular issue. And, and Nick said, well, why don't you do just like the XYZ game goes over there? They have an A version and a B version, and you can have both in the one box. And we said, wow, there's a, there's a solution that Steve and I couldn't see. So yes, we do go to the stores and they are absolutely helpful in, in terms of you know, fine tuning the concept, working on the pricing, uh, any number of things, yeah. So being an entrepreneur, obviously it was really hard to start off with this, right? You must've had lots of struggles, lots of things that didn't work out right out of the gate. Do you want to talk about any of those struggles, any of those things that kind of went wrong early on or? Uh... We're in therapy, so it's a little bit premature. <laughs> now, now Steve, Steve has been, Steve's been a great business partner. Steve, why don't you talk about you know, that? It's been a great, great journey and relatively pain, pain free. But Steve, what's your perspective on it? Yeah, it hasn't been too many. I mean, it's been a it was a slow start or not slow start, but a slow, slow build. And I think that has helped us avoid any disastrous pitfalls if you if you google um starting a game company or, or you know inventing a game online one of the first sites i hit that on, on the search was don't do it you're going to end up with ten thousand games in your basement and not being able to sell them so the way we did it with going into one store first and we gave her six prototypes and in two days when she sold out of those, then we gave her 12 prototypes. And then after that, it was 20 games and 50 games. So it was these really, really incremental steps. So we never jumped in and had this over our heads feeling. And so uh, it, it, there really wasn't too much of a, a problems. Uh, the one thing I'll give a little kudos to Kevin, because um, he was uh, of the both of us when we started this, um, I just exited my advertising career. He still had his consulting going on. I said, hey, Kev, will you be, we want to partner up and do this. And he said, well, I got some aside, I, my main gig going, I, I really got to focus on that. I said, all I, but can you, he goes, what, but what I can give you is 100% energy when I am in. And so I said, that's all I, that's all I need. So that was so helpful 
in getting through whatever struggles or little bumps on the road was having a partner that was just no problem. We can do it forward. You know, Steve, I, I equate Steve to a marketing MacGyver. He just kind of figures out marketing and production. He just figures stuff out, you know? <laughs> and uh, so Steve was, you know, solving these problems along the way. And I, and I just had to remind myself, I go, no, Steve, Steve says he wants enthusiasm. Sure. I'll give him enthusiasm. And that kept Steve at, at the grindstone solving these problems as we went along and, and built the business. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, Trying to think. So you've had all these successes. You've had a whole pile of games. Like as far as I'm seeing, you have about five different games that are available to the public now, which is great. And how many years does this take for all five of these games? Like, have you guys been doing this for ten years, fifteen years, five years? Like, yeah, we walked into our first. So it's been twelve years from the day we walked into our very first store with Tenzi, and then, but we didn't even go national with that until two two years later. So in 2012 is when we started Tenzi and we came before we even came up with our second product. That was probably what, four or five years later, Steve, we had, we had uh, a set of cards called 77 ways to play Tenzi. And then we had a party pack of Tenzi. So the first three, four five years was all Tenzi, 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 which was great too, because the stores would say, what's next? What's your newest idea? But we're like, no, 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 let's stay with Tenzi because we had no other new ideas. Let's stay with Tenzi. And Tenzi really got established and did well. And then since then, probably every, year to two we come out with a new game and not because we say oh it's been a year or two we have to have a new game it's just that if you find an idea we like and is working then okay we say it's time to come out with it so it's been uh it's been about 12 years since we started and we have as you said about five games is there anything that you would do differently now knowing what you know and knowing all the struggles you've gone through or have you basically done it differently with all the new game concepts going forward um, from your you from one. your original concept yeah. right like yeah steve one one lesson that i learned um is that we were having so many successes we had a success with tenzi we had a success with slapsy after that and then somewhat of a success with itsy then we had a game after that where people because they loved our other games they were buying our games and we came out with this new product and go give it give us yep send that to us great 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 and we got, I got so excited because they were loving it, getting it in the store because it was a new game from us that we ordered an extra special load of inventory. And then what we had found happen is that that game was not as fast moving as the other games. And we were just filling pipeline early on and got, I got deceived into thinking, oh, wow, this stuff is really moving. But really what was happening was the initial pipeline was getting filled. And once that got filled, the game was a slower than the other ones. And then we found out, wow, we got a lot of inventory that we're, we're going to have to slowly get through with that. So one th- lesson is just, you know, just don't jump at the first opportunity when you start to see an initial success. Just say, well, what's the repeat on the business and, and plan it that way. So that was one lesson learned. So, but, but to your point, yeah, uh, we do try to learn these lessons and then apply them as we go along. Steve, how about you? I would uh, reinforce the bottoms of the tubes on that first, on that first big order. That, that's what, that's the, the big uh, takeaway. Take yeah. Did you guys do any, so that whole challenge that happened, did you guys even, uh, I know some vendors will literally get it and just ship it out. They won't even verify quality. Were you guys just not doing any quality control on the packaging or did you just kind of like, look, Oh, it looks good and ship it off. Do you, do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, we, I mean, we 
we had gotten samples in from our supplier and we have a fantastic supplier and they were great. They looked great. Everything was great. Um, but when it was, whether it had sat in a warehouse too long and the glue had come undone from the bottom or there wasn't enough, something happened. And so again, it's, but we, since we both parachuted in to the game industry from different industries, we didn't know what to look for or didn't know to do the quality control. Um, so, and even though we missed some things like that, um, I also think not knowing what we didn't know has helped us along yes. the way. Yes. From not giving out sample or not not giving out samples to um, not not asking stores to do things for us. And there were just a lot, even the heck if you want to hold up Tenzi. I mean, we've had people come up to us and whether that's the greatest packaging or the worst packaging in the world, they said, Oh, you got to have more colors on your the logo. That's such a terrible logo. But we we design it like that because we wanted the dice to be the stars. We chose a nice neutral color for the the the, the logo and the label because we wanted that to kind of go away a bit and have the dice, the colorful dice, be the stars. Yeah. Um, and could we have done cheaper packaging? Yes, but again. Yeah, that's the other thing. I don't believe that if had we licensed our game to a company, I, they would not have come up with this. Now, maybe they would have had something as good, but I don't think so. I think they would have put it in a box clamshell like, or something like that. Yeah. yeah that what they're used to and that that seems to work for them and it's what their production is set up for so because we had a clean slate because we were naive we kind of created our own rules because we didn't know better and that worked in our favor we think yeah i had a company i worked for and we we sold a manufacturer's product and it honestly had like 90 percent defect rate it was really bad like literally you pull the vehicle out of the bay and you were lucky if the remote control worked after you pulled it out. It was really, really bad. And because of how we serviced those clients and took care of them and created that customer experience, it turned into this positive ripple of that's why I deal with this place because of how they took care of me. And, and I kind of wonder, and, and like might be something you guys reflect on, is because of this challenge that happened with Tenzi early on due to the packaging and the fact that you took care of all your customers that might've, you know, bumped you into another category because all of your clients knew, Hey, these guys are taking care of me. They care about me. And because of that, people are like, I want to continue supporting them. Even though this mistake happened, they still took care of me. Sure. Sure. It's, um, definitely on the, when the mistakes happen and you take care of them, but even on the day-to-day stuff, we get um, a, a retailer will call us or email us and say, I need an order. What, uh, how, do I, how do I go about ordering? So we just say, hey, tell us what you want and we'll get it to you. And so she says, oh, um, I'll take a case of Tenzi and a case of Slapsy and we'll put the order in right there and we'll say, it'll ship today. And they say, wow, I love working with you guys because you make things so simple and easy. And so, wow, if, if a retailer wants to work with us that gives us a, a huge leg up with other games where there are files to uh or forms to fill out to put an order or they have to log online into some portal so we try to make things as simple and easy as uh, as possible for the retailers do you someone yeah. say that your whole business theory is kiss keep it simple stupid right keep yeah. the games very simple easy to use fun to enjoy and at the same time, you want the ordering process the same way, yeah. right? Very yeah. simple. 
Yeah, I, I'll also throw in a, an interesting one. We um, every now and then um, collections are slow from certain customers, right? You know, everybody usually pays within either right at the time they purchase it or 30 days. And there are some that will slip by, and they're six, you know, 30 days overdue or 60 days overview, so, uh, overdue. So we have somebody that helps out with that. Well, I was bringing somebody on to help us with collections, and understandably, this person was like, "Well, why are they not paying? What's the what's the problem here? Are they?" The sense was that are they trying to take advantage of you? And I said to this person, "No, no, no, no. First of all, no, we don't believe anybody's trying to take advantage of them. It could be number one, our our mistake. Like we maybe didn't send out the invoice." Uh, so it could be on us, or maybe technology got involved somehow and that messed it up and they never received it, or maybe they did receive it and it mistakenly got put in the wrong pile. But like five, only five levels into it, would you say there's somebody out there trying to take advantage of us, it, which is a, a small fraction of 1%. So I think even our approach to collections for people who haven't paid us, it's they probably aren't doing it on purpose. There's probably some mistake along the way. And let's treat them with, you know, with kindness. And, and I think our the email we send them starts with friendly reminder, <laughs> we're 30 days overdue or something like that. And then the second one is second friendly reminder. So just a softer approach on collections even. Um, and, and, and everybody, you know, again, everybody, 99.9% .9 are saying, oh, I'm so sorry I was late. Oh, we, we, we had a little bit of a problem. We'll get, we'll make it up to you. So they, nobody's, I don't believe is out there trying to take advantage of us. And you just can't create problems that don't exist. Let, yeah. me, let me let me juxtapose that customer service Kev, with something I had uh, last week. Mm -hmm. So woke up in the morning and uh, my wife said, "Steve, can you look at the internet? It looks like the service is, it's it's where it's down." So I looked at the router, unplugged it, plugged it back in, tried to restart it, and that uh, usually works and it didn't work. And so I called up the Optimum, the service provider, and said, "Uh." looks like we have a problem. We don't have any internet. And they, the ladies at customer service said, I'll be glad to help you. She goes, um, yeah, it looks like we cut, uh, we canceled your service. <laughs> so I said, I said, what? She said, yeah, you were late with a payment. So we cancel your service. I said, I've been a customer for 30 years. And I was, you know, 45 days late or with 30 days, you know, whatever. And she said, and I, and just the previous day, coincidentally, I had paid an online, you know, online payment, mm -hmm. which takes two days, one day or two days to post. And she said, well, um, if you can provide me the online payment confirmation number, we can turn it back on right now. I said, well, you see how that's impossible because I can't get online to check what the online payment. <laughs> and so it, it was an hour long spiral oh, okay. into right. my rage, right? And so finally, <laughs> eventually I got to another phone call after that with uh, Larry in retention. Cause I was, I'm gonna cancel, I'm gonna cancel my canceled service. I was so outraged. <laughs> so, so Larry in retentions was spectacular. Uh. And he, he had the voice of a pilot. And so he said, he said, Mr. Mark, how are things going right now? I said, Larry, it's been a bad morning. It's been a bad morning. And so Larry ended up, you know, $150 off the thing, took this. Yeah, he's, Larry was fantastic. So certainly there are softer ways to go about collections and stuff yeah. like that. that Kevin's oh, doing. yeah. I mean, I had one, uh, I had two cell phones. I had a company phone and a personal phone for many, many, for about a couple of years. And what I did was, but both of them were on my account. And I called and said, I need to cancel my business phone. I don't use it anymore. Well, 
the thing that was weird is my business phone still worked a month later. And I was like, oh, well, the guy did say that there was going to be like some free credits for something. So I, I didn't think anything of it. Right. My other phone, which was my personal phone, it was like a phone number I had for years. All of a sudden stopped working a month and a half later. So they canceled the wrong phone. And so to, in order for me to reverse that, it was, it was a month and a half of fighting with them. And like, like literally just, just at least say, sorry, no one would even say sorry. And it blew me away. So then, you know what I did? I went to another cell phone company, got a subscription with them, got a new phone, got everything. Didn't have my phone number anymore, which, which upset me and started it. And a week later, they call me, listen, sir, we're sorry. We found the issue. Da, da, da. We're going to reactivate it. What do you mean you're going to reactivate it? Well, if you cancel now, it'll cost you $800. I didn't cancel it. You canceled it. So then it turns into this argument of oh. trying to get it off. We ended up, I ended up agreeing on a $300 cancellation fee from 800 bucks, which I was able to sell the old cell phone for 300 bucks. So it ended up costing me nothing. But it was still the whole headache that it all happened. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. And, you know, it, it's funny how like things like that happen, but it takes so long for them to, you know, admit the mistake. And yeah. that's the problem with these big companies. And I think that's great. You guys are, you know, working with a lot of smaller mom and pop companies. You're able to take care of them. They're going to talk to you, probably most likely you or your customer service team. And, to me, that's important. It's really a missed, uh, missed thing in customer service and customer experience nowadays. You know, it's yeah. it's hard to get on the phone and even talk to somebody. Usually, you're getting some prompt, you're getting a voicemail. You, you know, you send yeah. someone an yeah. email, and yeah. two weeks later, yeah. they'll email you back when they feel it's important. Yeah. Well, the the advantage that Kevin and I have is the size of the company. Right, where some people would say, "Oh, it's a weakness. We're just we're a tiny, tiny company. That what are what what chances do we have?" When I'm talking with someone, whether it's consumer or retailer, and they're asking me, you know, "Hey, customer, good customer service," then they'll say, "Can I can I speak to someone in sales now?" And they say, "I'm saying you're you're speaking to the mailroom boy. You're talking to the CEO. You're talking. You know, we both wear all hats." And we can then help people kind of across the board without checking. Because again, the poor customer service lady at the call center, yeah, yeah. she's just saying what's on the script or what options are available to her. Right. So, um, yeah. So, I guess, do you guys have any f- final words of wisdom or anything for anybody who wants to, you know, start their own business or anybody who wants to get into the gaming business and, and you know, go head to head with you guys or, or, yeah. Any, any final words of wisdom? Well, one thing I would say is, uh, and your, your podcast is called focus on customer experience, right? That's correct. I would, I would just broaden it to say, focus on people experience that my, my parting words would be, it's all about the relationship. So whether they're your potential customer, a competitor, uh, some a, a, a partner along the way, it's all about the relationship and stay focused on keeping it a positive, successful relationship and the other stuff will take care of itself. That's my two cents. The, the only thing I'd say is um, on for those inventors and whether you have an idea for a game, a book, a recipe, a product, a widget, whatever. Um, in speaking with folks, 99% of people I come in contact with 
in all aspects of life, going to a cocktail party or a trade show, everyone has ideas for things. And so few people kind of realize or, you know, take the next step because they feel, oh, what can I possibly do? I can't do. And it's just to, the biggest hurdle is getting it out, out of your brain and start, start doing it in any way. Get a prototype, get a partner to help you with it. Do, do something because everyone has these ideas, but so few people kind of act on it to try to bring it to life. So just start somewhere. Yep. That's awesome. Great, great words of wisdom. Thanks for coming on, guys. It was awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Experience podcast. Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ben, check out Benjamin Del Grosso on LinkedIn at SafeDriveSolutions on Instagram or www.safedrivesolutions.ca online. We'll see you next time.